TorahCafe.com. The Seder is probably the greatest symbol within Judaism. I'm not a statistician, but I think that the Seder is probably the most practiced tradition that Jewish people have. The Seder is something that completely engages not only Jewish people, but the whole world. So many people know about the Seder. So many people know about Matzah. It's part of such a beautiful tradition, celebrating such positive themes that the Seder actually engages people. And so today I want to explore the deeper meaning and the symbols of the Seder so that when you have your Seder this year, you can share some deeper meaning with those who are ready, very positively in tune and so, ready to receive something deeper. Let's start with the night before the Seder because although the Seder starts on the first night of Pesach, the preparation for the Seder started the night before. And I don't mean the cooking and the cleaning. I'm talking about the spiritual journey. The night before Pesach, there is an ancient tradition called Bidikat Chametz, the searching of the Chametz. And we know that Chametz, as I've explored early in the series, is leaven, leaven produce, wheat-based products that have had time to rise, grain-based products. So anything from the five grains, wheat, barley, etc., spelt, oats, rye, Anything made from these ingredients and has had time to rise is called chametz. So it's not just bread, it's not just cake, it's crackers, and it's any food that already has these flours mixed into, into them. The night before Pesach, the house has been generally already cleaned for Pesach. And remember, once upon a time, where people lived in smaller homes without any refrigeration or food storage mechanism, the house would be literally cleared and rid of any chametz. Today, because we've got the refrigerator and we've got cupboards and we've got preservatives, we actually put foods into storage and we lock those away until after Pesach. And part of that locking away is to sell them off to someone who isn't bound by the rule of not having chametz. So, the night before, once the house would be cleaned, there would begin the search to ensure that the house was truly cleaned. And the search, already some thousands of years old, was already, was actually uh, enhanced with the placing of 10 pieces of leaven, 10 pieces of bread or 10 pieces of cracker, so that we found it, cleared it, and the next morning burnt it. And we burnt it because we can't have any chametz, and that's the tradition, and that's the law. But I'd like to actually run through, there's one very interesting um, line that gets said when burning the chametz, and that is that any leaven that I have not found inadvertently or has somehow managed to find its way into my home without my knowledge is hefker. It's not mine. It's ownerless. That pronouncement is so key to Pesach. It's not a legal phrase of disowning. It's a personal growth moment. Bidikat Chametz, the searching of Chametz, is not just about clearing our house. Bidikat Chametz is actually also about clearing our house, our body, our being. The search begins before Pesach. What sort of elements do I have in me that I really want to rid myself of? If Chametz is a metaphor for ego, if it's puffy, hot air, 
a negative in context of Pesach, what sort of negatives within myself, what sort of ego-driven emotions and feelings and personality traits have I developed that I would actually like to remove? And we begin searching for the 10 or however number we have. And we find them and we put them away and then we burn them. Symbolically, we remove them. We identify what elements have changed. And I say, these are not me. I may do it, but it's not me. And I would like to rid myself of these character traits. And I'd like to be a less ego-driven person. And that is why the Seder began the night before. The process of, of, of B'dikat Chametz began the Pesach moment and experience. Now let's go to the first night, the Seder night. So everyone's there. And we sit down to what's called the Seder. The Seder actually means the order. The order of the evening. Very precise. Very perfect. And there are all sorts of different reasons why we go in this, in this order. And we could be sitting here in front of the computer for absolutely weeks on end exploring. So I can only go through a few today. I'd like to start with the most glaringly obvious part of Pesach that sits on the Seder table. And that's the matzah. And this is the only food that I'm going to go through today because I'm going to go through the rest of the food and the symbols within the food tomorrow. The matzah is placed in, if it's handmade, and it's shmura matzah. And I highly recommend that you do get your hands on some handmade shmura matzah because they're round and they're slightly concave. It's from the heat, the way they've been baked in the oven. And we actually put them so that they're facing upward as if they're a bowl, waiting to receive something. And they are. They become our kli. They become our receptacle for blessing, for new energy. And like the matzah, we come to the Seder as an empty receptacle waiting to be filled. And that sets the tone that it's not just about eating the matzah, it's about being the matzah. So we've got the matzah and we've got the seder and there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of talking at the seder. And what language most Haggadot, most of those uh, seder books, the Haggadah that we read, are written in Hebrew and sometimes they're translated into a language of the country. What is better? Should I be doing it in Hebrew? Should I be doing it in English? And I found this really, really interesting legal text that was written some 400 years ago and it describes how in the medieval pe- period, going back a further four or five hundred years before this, this uh, text was written, so we're going back 900, almost a thousand years, they actually said that the rabbis of England who spoke Hebrew did not necessarily have families that could speak Hebrew. Hebrew wasn't the spoken language in England a thousand, twelve hundred years ago. And therefore, many of them would encourage the Seder to be done in English. Unbelievable. We th- we don't, how often do you think about England 1,200 years ago and doing the Seder in English? Jews sitting around an English Seder table. I'm sure the English then was different to the English of today. But the language of England was what had to be done in so that the family could understand, which means that the whole doing of the Seder has got to be an expression that we can understand. The children have got to be engaged. Our spouses, our partners, our parents, our siblings, whoever, our guests, whoever's there should be engaged. It shouldn't be a rushed job. If it's not relevant, read deeper. What's it really saying? Discuss it. Because the real mitzvah of the Seder night is Sipur Yetzirah Mitzrayim, telling over the story and the lessons of the Exodus from Egypt. So 
Enjoy it. Don't rush it. Don't worry about the language barrier. Find the language that works for you. Sing the songs. Let it be engaging. And one of the first songs that we do sing is Manishtana, the four questions. And the Manishtana does not have a very clear answer. It's all about questions and not necessarily receiving answers. And that's fine. The answers do come, but they're progressive and they're long and they're deep and we have to um, delve over the course of the Seder to find them. But the important thing is that the questions are being asked. The encouragement of us to think. And who asks We always say the children ask. But what if there are no children? Then you ask. I ask. Because on the Seder night, we are all children. We all get in touch with our innocent side. And we all ask the question. And even if there's no one to ask the question of, the question still gets asked. Because as we're going to explore a little later today, the question being asked is a spiritual moment of where I connect with something higher. Like a child to a parent. But we're doing this on a spiritual level. So ask the question, vocalize it, put it out there. And if you've got other questions, ask them. You never know who might have an answer for you. There are a lot of fours over the Seder night. Another four that I'd like to explore are the four sons. The four sons are really a very interesting chapter of the Haggadah. And it's the four children We're just using colloquialism for sons. There's the wise son, the wicked son. There's the simple son and the son that doesn't know how to ask. And everyone's got their own take on this. But I'd like to give you a bit of a spiritual reason as to who they are and why we get them in this order. The wise son is very much that, a highly academic, spiritually inspired individual. The wise son can do no wrong. wrong. They are the child, they are the adult who's just totally spiritually motivated and switched on, and so learned, and asked so many deep questions. The one flaw that the wise child has is that often they have a problem communicating the message. Everything becomes deep and complicated. The wicked child. The wicked child is a very, very tough label. A very, very tough label. But I'd like to explain what the definition of the wicked child is. The wicked child is the one who rebels but not for the sake of creating positive change, because rebellions in themselves are not bad, but rather rebels purely to reject and to create doubt. And that's why the wicked child is deemed wicked and is labelled wicked, because all it seeks to achieve is cause doubt and to cause discomfort. It's actually not about ever finding a truth. But such a child, such an adult, is actually usually a very passionate person. They look for their opportunity to create this moment of doubt, to create the question. And they will often walk off before an answer is given because it wasn't ever a question as much as it was a statement. The simple child is that academically, okay. Spiritually, not very switched on. Would like a bit more, but hasn't got the opportunity right now. And just needs things in bite size. This isn't that the simple son is dumb or illiterate, the simple son is actually just, has never had the opportunity to learn, and therefore sticks to its comfort zone, and sticks with what it does know, and if it ever is given the opportunity, it might learn, it might flare up. But simple, being predictable, run-of-the-mill, day in, day out, the same routine. And then the child that doesn't know anything at all, and can't ask, well, we often think of that child as an infant, 
But the one who doesn't ask is really the one that was never given an opportunity. Unlike the simple one, this is the child, this is the person who just hasn't been able to be given the opportunity to do something, hasn't been given the opportunity to learn and therefore can't ask, hasn't been given the opportunity to perform and therefore doesn't. And therefore the infant is a good, is a good example because they haven't learned yet and they haven't lived the opportunities and they haven't seized the opportunities yet. So what's with the order? Well, the wise child is next to the wicked child because the wise one can actually educate the wicked one and can share the spirituality and can get through because the wicked one's bright. The wicked one just has, for some reason, a negative feeling. The wise one, the chacham, has the patience and is able to sit and hear the message and warm them up until the message is clear and the wicked one becomes a passionately fired-up chacham. What the Chacham doesn't have is passion. It's got the intellectual ability, it's able to sit and talk and it's spiritual and it meditates, but the, but the Rosha, that wicked one, is really an extremely passionate one where if we could just guide it, it would become an unbelievable leader, a leader that the Chacham wouldn't actually be able to become. So our wicked child becomes the best child at the table. Because once they're switched on, that one is able to go to the simple one and say, wake up, get out of your routine and join me in my mission. Join me in this excitement and let me just put it to you like this. The Russia, who's become now our passionate, fired up leader, is able to get the routine run-of-the-mill person to get excited as well. And that person then is able to use their connections with their social circle to go to the Lisho, the one that doesn't even know how to ask, and say, look... I'm going to introduce you to people who are going to blow your mind and they're going to create opportunities for you to excel. The Russia's hot-headed, hasn't got time to find everyone, but inspires those around him or her to find others and bring them in and they all become warm together. And that's the story of the four sons. What's interesting is there might be a fifth son that doesn't get mentioned in the Haggadah. And I'll say there is a fifth son and I'm going to tell you a bit about him. The fifth son has popped up in and out of spirituality in, without much clarity. After the Holocaust, there was an idea that was presented to different rabbis around the world to push within their communities and their congregations that perhaps there'd be an empty chair at the Seder to remember those who died and to remember the children who were killed. And it took off. It was a very popular idea. Let's remember, lest we forget. When the idea was brought to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who at the time was living in Brooklyn, he said, I don't love the idea. I'm not wrapped in the idea of an empty chair at the Seder, and I'll tell you why. Those people who died and were killed in the Holocaust were martyrs, were heroes. They're our inspiration. The way to honor them would be to fill the chair in their honor. We found someone to be there. We are growing because of you. You have inspired us to keep going. You died for this, and we're now carrying it on. And so therefore, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, don't have an empty chair at the Seder. Have a new person that wouldn't have been at the Seder. And with that was the birth of the fifth son. The fifth son is the one that doesn't actually know it's the Seder night. The other four showed up. Even the wicked one showed up. There to taunt, there to antagonize, and ultimately there to learn. But the fifth one didn't even know that it was Pesach. How many people do you know that don't know that it's Pesach? And how warm would they feel 
if you invited them to your Seder. The fifth child is the forgotten child because, not, not they don't make noise, but because they're not there. Out of sight, out of mind. I'm asking you to seek out the fifth child and don't have an empty seat at your Seder. Fill it, not with a cousin who would have been there anyway, or a sibling. Fill it with a relative or a friend or even someone you don't know but have heard about that wouldn't know about Pesach because ultimately sharing that experience with them will probably be a life-changing moment. People love to be accepted. People love to be embraced. People love warmth. And when a stranger offers that, there's nothing deeper. There were no expectations, and yet you accept me for who I am, and not only accept me for who I am, but want me at your Seder. Imagine we did that with any difficult member of society. Not that we just slapped them on the wrist, but on an individual level, we embraced them and said, look, you've done something wrong, but I still accept you for who you are, and I'd like you to be a part of what, I, uh, what I'm a part of. I guarantee you would have an unbelievably successful rate of rehabilitation. If we talk about Jewish continuity, Jewish continuity is all about sharing, sharing the love, sharing the passion, sharing the excitement, enriching cold tradition with human behavior so that they say, if you believe in it and this is what you are, surely this is a good thing. I'd like to be a part of it. Seek out the fifth child. The last number five that I'd like to share with you is the fifth cup. We have four cups of wine on the Seder night. And when we have these cups of wine, just like when we eat our matzah, and just like uh, when we uh, um, uh, eat the, the meal, we lean. The leaning is very, very interesting, because the leaning is to celebrate our freedom. The leaning is all about how, look me, I can lie on my day bed while I eat, or I have this big couch, or I have this big armchair with cushions, and I'm so comfortable, I'm a free person. I'm basically aristocratic tonight. I'm drinking wine. I'm eating fine foods. I've got all the time in the world. But while we're in this moment of blue-blooded excitement, what are we talking about? Our slavery. We're talking about how we come from such humble roots and how nobody's better than other. And it's so interesting because while celebrating how great life is now, we're remembering our humble roots. This is actually a very important lesson for life. We've always got to be in two minds, where we come from and our poor, quiet, tragic beginnings and realizing that nobody's better than the other and then the reality of where we are here and now and the opportunities that we have. What this does, by having this double mindset, allows us to perform in a way that keeps us humble. We can achieve great things. We've got options. We've got the opportunity, especially in the Western world. We've got so much freedom. We've got so many luxuries in our life. But don't let that make you peer down your nose at those who are less fortunate or those who don't come from quite as good a home as you do or don't come from as quite a good a background as you are now. Realize that we're all the same. And then there's no ego. We're celebrating our current existence, but we're doing it together. If we go one way or the other, it turns negative. If we forget our past and we just celebrate our own achievements and the fact that we're free, we'll become egocentric. We'll become full of ourselves and we'll become disconnected from those who are less fortunate than, ours, than ourselves. If we go the other way and it's all about our past, we'll become depressed We'll be so lost in the guilt, we'll be so lost in the depression of where we come from and how challenging life is and how negative it all it is and we come from slaves, we can never achieve great things. That's also negative. 
And therefore, we have to remember our humble past and our humble beginnings and get excited by where we are today. And that way, today becomes an opportunity to grow. Look how much we've been able to achieve as a people from our humble beginnings. It only motivates us to keep going, but as a people, as a group, which means we're not doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for the masses. We're doing it for the people. We're doing it for the world. Spiritually, life is also all about the two. On the one hand, I'm in the here and now. It's all so physical. It's, it's, it's so real. That's what drives me. My past? Well, that's imagery. That's, that's Masora. That's information that I've been taught. I didn't live my past. I just know it. And I have to infuse my current with my knowledge. I have to infuse the current existence with my spirituality. And I don't just live for the next meal and for the next moment of joy. I don't just live for where I am now, but rather I look for the deeper meaning within everything that exists. I'm leaning, but I, my mind is not in the leaning. My mind is in my origins. My, my mind is in my true origin, the soul, prior to creation, higher being, higher conscious, higher relevance into what all this physical, physicality really means. And that's why we lean when we're having our cups of wine. But I said there's a fifth cup, and if you count correctly, we have four cups. And the four cups correspond to the four languages and the four expressions of redemption that are used in the Torah in the Exodus story of how Hashem took us out of Egypt. What's this fifth fifth cup? Well, the fifth cup we know is right at the end of the Seder, the cup of Elijah. It's poured, but as I said before, we never drink from it. And it's poured, and we sing, and the order is that the women take a candle... And a candle is a flame on a wick. And what's happening with the flame on the wick is the flame is constantly consuming its very source of life, being the wick. And it's always burning upward, wanting to flicker and jump off. It's almost suicidal. It's a symbol of our soul. It wants something higher. And even though it's in this body, and the body is the wick that allows it to exist and function in a physical way, it knows that, and still it yearns for something more, and it's willing to schlep the body on that journey. And so the women, the more spiritual of the sexes, actually take the candle, and they go to the front door, and they open it. And they welcome Elijah into the home. Elijah as a soul, not a body. This is a soul that is above time and space, as all souls are, and therefore Elijah's soul can be in many places at the same time. And Elijah joins us at the Seder. And it says that Elijah drinks from the cup of wine, but the truth is Elijah doesn't drink from the cup of wine, because Elijah is a soul, not a body. Bodies drink wine. Souls don't. So why the cup of wine? Wine is wine, but wine is also yayin. Yayin is two yuds and a nun, Hebrew letters, which each have their own spiritual representation and bodies of energy. The physical, as we explored in earlier classes, is just a manifestation of something more spiritual. So wine is a physical manifestation of yayin. There is a soul in that wine. And when Elijah joins us, he is able to connect with the soul of the wine. He is able to connect with the spirituality that we've created at our Seder. And that's why Elijah joins us. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, the Friedrich Rebbe, actually told his students not to squander the moment that the soul joins us at the Seder. Because this is a soul that's highly connected and able to achieve so much on our behalf in higher realms. And so therefore ask it for a favor. Ask it for help. But don't squander it asking for physical material needs, although you can. 
because this is a moment of spiritual growth. Ask it for more energy. Ask it for a blessing to be able to achieve more spiritually. And we never drink that wine. We pour it back in the bottle so that the energy of the soul connecting with that wine is now back in our bottle and back in our life for after the Seder. So the Seder is really not just an order. It's not just a meal. It's a collection of energy-making moments. We are the matzah. We're the receptacle. At your Seder this year, draw down some energy. Bring in some blessing, some bracha. And make it about the growth. Tap into that spirituality and ask Elijah for the, for the blessing. Ask Elijah for the strength to keep growing. And hopefully this year, your Seder will be a spiritual growth moment and not just a physical growth moment. I'll see you tomorrow.